0: and welcome to The Ordinary Church Podcast, a discussion of God's extraordinary works through His ordinary ways. My name is Winston Weber, and Pastor Mike is with me today to talk about some of the bombshells that have really rocked the Christian world in recent days. How's it going, Mike? Doing well, Winston. Good to see you and be with you today. It's great to be with you. So, Mike, to kind of set the stage here, there's been kind of some big things happening in the professing church, as you so often call it. One notable thing is the Josh Harris defection. Josh Harris, for those who don't know, is a prominent author. He wrote a, a pretty popular book back in the day called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and he has recently proclaimed himself to be a, a non-Christian.
1: That's right. We're going to look at a cornucopia of things today, uh, those that are defecting from the faith, right? And mm-hmm whether they're a believer or not, only God knows. And also we're going to talk about those that are seeming to masquerade as Christians and basically put out in the public square some very unbiblical ideas while still saying, Jesus still loves me. Yeah. Okay. And so that's kind of where we're going. This whole idea of a notable Christian who has strongly professed many truths that we hold dear and wrote a book when he was, I think, 19 years old. It sold over a million copies and got pushed into the limelight probably too quickly. Yeah. Was a pastor of a megachurch, I think, by the time he was 30. And so here's now what he is saying. I am was married to my wife for 20 years, and now we're getting a divorce. By all standards that I would look at, I am not a Christian today. That's what he's saying. And, you know, I've read so many articles this week. This, this is what started our week this week. Monday is when this news hit. Really, it hit last Friday, Saturday, but it got a lot of airplay. It was on every major news outlet. And there were multiple articles on all the notable sites. And basically they were, they're going at it from all different angles. There are those that are, you know, outright applauding him because they hate Christians. There are those who are you know, outright condemning him because they say, well, he was never a Christian to begin with. And what I'm not seeing as clearly as I would hope and not hearing as clearly as I would hope, a more balanced view from Christians. And I think in recent days, there have been a few more reasoned responses, but I think we want to look into that a bit today. Okay. So basically we don't want
0: to just keep retreading the same water that everybody else is doing. And mm-hmm. we, we kind of want to take this idea of a a formerly professing Christian who's now professing to have thrown that away. And so it is easy for us to kind of jump on this whole bandwagon of, well, we know what uh, 1 John 2 says about those who went out from us were never of us. And Mm so uh, am am I wrong in saying, well, he, he isn't a Christian because he went out from us and therefore, based off of
1: the Bible, he was never of us. In many ways, yes, we, we go there, and because we got to go where the Bible goes. In other ways where the Bible goes, we have to say OGK, only God knows. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this steel. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so if he's saying, hey, I'm not a Christian, here's the deal. We can't assume anything here. We can't assume that he never was a Christian. We can't assume that he still is a Christian. What we've got to do is go where the Bible goes. There are two Bible characters that we need to think about here, Judas and Peter. So here are two that are in the number of the 12, the original 12, and obviously Judas, we will not see him in heaven. He was never a believer. He was false, he was fake, he was masquerading. Peter, on the other hand, outright denied Jesus three times and was a true believer. And so we have to say he's either a Judas who never knew the Lord, or he is a Peter who is deceived right now, but will come to repentance, and only time will tell. He may come to repentance. It could happen in a week, could happen in five years, should the Lord tarry, but it might never happen, and he might keep walking. And you'd have to say, wow, here's a guy that preached, that wrote, that spoke strongly, and he never truly knew Christ? Well, if he never really knew Christ, then Jesus will say, on that day, I never knew you. And it really matters who, who God says he knows. Whoever God chooses are the ones who will be saved. And so whatever he's saying right now, maybe, maybe not. I think we need to treat him as an unbeliever by his own admission. But he's deceived right now. He's either deceived uh, to perdition he's deceived to hell he's he's not going to heaven or he's deceived and going through a period of wandering and he may come back to the faith we just don't know that
0: yeah and it, it's hard for us to kind of put that in our own minds cuz we 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 don't see the future right mm-hmm. you know you brought up the two characters Judas and Peter we can know we know the end of the story for both of those guys and so it's really easy to be like ah Peter you know he's denying Christ but you mm-hmm. know he's going to come back but in that moment He's denying Christ. And in fact, in in John 21 says that he goes back to his profession of fishing.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. He threw in the towel. Right. And Jesus had to bring him back and recommission him. So one of the things that's kind of concerned me is as I'm reading so many articles, you know, again, from from the far, far reaches of the universe where people are just celebrating his, you know, denunciation of Christianity because they hate Christians and now they're going to celebrate this and now he's going to become their their pet their star he'll get on the programs there's the other end of the spectrum that's really our end of the universe where we say look we care about this we we are grieving over this every time you hear of a notable Christian we are saddened by it we do not rejoice in anyone's downfall but interestingly they put it out on social media they're they're it was all mood centered. It was all emotive centered. And so they put out their divorce announcement on social media with a mood photo. And then he did his next one with look, overlooking a lake or something like that. And it was all to generate emotion and to generate sympathy for their self-centered Things. Yeah. They uh-huh. actually didn't need to make this public. Yeah. They didn't need to go out on social media and actually make this public. I heard hadn't heard anything about him or from him, you know, in months, years, whatever. I Joshua Harris was off the radar. Okay. He was a prominent pastor. Then in 2015, he moved to Vancouver to become a student and said, I need to go to seminary. And at the time I thought, well, good for you, young man. I, seriously. I was like, well, you know what? It's about time. Someone should have told you that before. Now his choice of seminary or what he was going to study, who knows? Only God knows. But the thing that that I'm missing in the conversation here is Christians saying maybe he's just really deceived and maybe he will be repenting. Now, I did read one article where someone said, we need to pray for this guy that he would repent. Yeah. But, you know, I've read a lot of articles that are like, well, this is clear. He never was part of us. Even a, a good friend of his said that.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's sad. And especially when throughout scripture, we can see all these different stories and parables of people who leave or sheep that leave. Mm-hmm. And if they're a true sheep, they return or they're captured again by the love of Christ to be yeah. brought back into the fold, right? The the that's prodigal right. son is literally right. this story. It's not about an
1: unbeliever. Mm-hmm. It's about a believer who leaves and then comes back. Right. Real Christians repent. Amen. And the thing is not repent on our timetable, but God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so a real Christian will repent, and that doesn't always happen the way or in the timing that we would hope. And I really want to help our listeners here. I really don't want to belabor the point because many people much smarter than I have have spoken on this and have written about this. I don't want to belabor this point, but what I do want to do is help our listeners, and I just want to say two things. Number 1, don't assume. This should teach us once again not to assume Oh, they're a Christian because they say they are. You need to look at the fruit. And the second thing is don't condemn. Don't condemn. It's so easy for Christians to just pile on when someone has a fall or when we don't like their choice. Now, this is a grievous thing, but it's interesting. He had enough integrity to admit that he is outside the bounds. You know what I'm glad he didn't do? I'm glad he didn't say, I can do all of this and still be a Christian. No, he's not going high-handedly, you know, saying, I'm still a part of the camp. He is having the intellectual integrity to say, I'm outside the camp and I'm going to admit it. Now, it's saddening. It saddens us. It, it's grievous to our hearts. But at least he's not saying, I can have my cake and eat it too. Right.
0: So kind of wanted to touch a little bit on his state here. Uh we want to be kind and we want to be gracious to somebody who has rejected the faith and we don't want to keep piling up guilt upon him. Like, it should be enough, right, of you've rejected Christ. That that should be enough. But how do you talk to him? Because, well, here, let me read his quote. It mm-hmm. says, I'm learning that no group has the market quartered on grace. This week, I've received grace from Christians, atheists, evangelicals, ex-evangelicals, straight people, LGBTQ plus people, And everyone in between. Of course, there have also been strong words of rebuke from religious people. While not always pleasant, I know that they are seeking to love me. There have also been spiteful, hateful comments that angered and hurt me. Mm -hmm. How would you respond to that?
1: Well, first, I actually liked his honesty. I think he's co-opting some words that we aren't comfortable with when he uses the word grace because he's now saying that unbelievers are showing grace. And I just, you know, we're all called to be merciful. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Okay. God gives grace. Uh, Our speech is to be gracious, but we are not commanded to show grace. Okay. We use that in the Christian community. We are commanded to be merciful, which means we are to withhold the judgment or the punishment or the, or the consequence at times that our sins deserve, that we are, we, we, We are empathetic for people, okay? That doesn't mean that we are the dispensers of justice. God is the dispenser of justice. We're to be merciful. I think we're to be gracious in our words. He's co-opting a biblical word. I don't feel great about that, but actually I like his intellectual honesty on this. I actually think, as self-centered as I think it is, I think there's some integrity in his words that is telling. He is not cursing Christ, He is not cursing the church. He is saying, this is where I'm at. Now, again, in a very self-centered way, but he is not being um, hateful towards the church. So I actually think, you know what? Fair enough. Thanks for your honesty. However deceived you are, however right or wrong you are, thanks for your honesty. And I can appreciate that. But on some
0: level, like, how do we respond? How in the world are we supposed to respond without coming off as spiteful and hurtful and mean? Right.
1: I don't think we should respond. Like, I have, I didn't uh, put any comments in any of the articles I, I read. <laughs> I just read them, and I, I'm, my comments will come out in, my, in, in a sermon as an illustration. Or, or maybe a, a podcast. Or a podcast, yeah, like or I'll talk to you about it, and I'll <sighs> talk to other friends, my family, and so on. But I just think the response is—I'm pausing here, but it's sobering. Mm. The response— here was my response. Lord, where's my heart? Hmm. Every time I hear of something like this, it drives me to the foot of the cross. It really does. It drives me to examine my own heart. This is what the Holy Spirit had Paul write to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Listeners, that's what you should do. Paul says, test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And so he's saying, I hope you find out that we have not failed the test. I'm praying for you. So it's like every professing believer, rehearse the gospel. Make sure you're in line with the gospel. Make sure you truly know the Lord. Make sure it's not based on some thing you made up or someone told you that wasn't from the Bible. You know, first John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 says, The witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Do you truly know Jesus? You know, if you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Second Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Come to Christ now, believe that he died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead on the third day, that he is coming back. And that when he died for your sins, he was taking your place, taking the punishment your sins deserved so that he could give you mercy. And just remember, when you receive grace from God, you are getting something you don't deserve. And when you receive mercy from God, he is holding back what you do deserve. The full weight of the wrath of God against your sins, but the full weight of the wrath of God against sin went on Christ at the cross. If you believe in Jesus, then your sins were put on him. If you trust in yourself, your sins are on you.
0: yeah thank you for I, I always love hearing more of the gospel, right We need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves regularly so I do I do appreciate that. but mm-hmm. kind of shifting gears a little bit. Joshua Harris is a person who is now proclaiming to not be a Christian. Right. But what about those who are proclaiming to be Christians who, for lack of a better term, are not living like Christians?
1: I think that's worse. I think it's worse because now they're putting a mask on and saying, I'm a Christian, you need to celebrate and accept everything I say and do because, hey, Jesus loves me and I can do whatever I want. And that's really the spirit of the age. That is not the Jesus of the Bible that they're talking about. And you know it's all over the place. You can we can pick whatever culturally uh, sensitive topic we want to pick right now, or what TV show, or what program, or you know what movie, or what what celebrity is saying this, that, or the other. I'll just mention the Bachelorette, okay? And I have not your favorite show. (laughs) No, I have not been a (laughs) huge fan of that of the Bachelor Bachelorette franchise, okay? But let me say that I have done some. How shall I put it? Scientific research. Research recently with my family and it sickened me. Mm. Okay. It sickened me. And the part that got me the, the most, if everybody wasn't a believer and they're just like being unbelievers, I'd be like, okay, there's a picture of depravity. Just like when I look in the mirror, okay. Or I look into my own heart and God sees me better than I see myself. But when someone says, you know, I can do this, that, and the other and and how dare you shame me in any way? Jesus still loves me. They're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. Now I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't love them or anything like that. What I'm saying is you can't use the shelter or you know the little barricade of Jesus loves me and put it up in front of you and say now this this basically protects me. This is my shield from anything and everything that someone might say that calls my choices in question. And so someone's making really sinful choices that the Bible condemns, and then saying, and I'm still a Christian, and Jesus still loves me. They've got their own brand of Christianity that isn't biblical Christianity. Hmm. And so they're co-opting words, and only God knows.
0: And one of the most common responses to that is, yeah, but Jesus ate with sinners.
1: He hung out with sinners so regularly. And and all the like—that's true, right? So that's absolutely true, but it's it's misusing that passage of scripture. Okay, Jesus was reaching them with the gospel, and people will say they'll put themselves in Jesus's place and say, "Well, I'm going to be like Jesus." That's not the point. He put himself in the sinner's place. Okay, now I'm going to get heated up here. Seriously, uh, Jesus put himself in the sinner's place. He died in the sinner's place. So we don't say. I'm going to be like Jesus and hang out with tax collectors and sinners. No, I am a sinner who Jesus condescends to hang out with and actually dwell within because he chose me before the foundation of the world and he saved me. And I'm humbled by that. I'm not emboldened to somehow claim my rights and say, I can do whatever I want. And how dare you call any of my decisions into question because, hey, Look what Jesus did. As if, as if we're putting ourselves on par with Jesus. It's just a complete falsehood to go there.
0: Yeah, and then kind of on along that same lines is, you know, well, are you without sin? Throw the first stone, right? Like so. Right, we go there too. What you know, you, oh you need to examine the plank in your own eye, Mike, before you start looking at my life. And say, I can't watch The Bachelorette. Right.
1: Just remember, that's not how Jesus said it. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> no, and so, no, seriously, we need to take it as Jesus said it mm-hmm. and, and go from what the Bible says. But if someone's using that as a club to beat you away from them and push you away from them, they're misusing the Bible. And again, we're not to turn around and condemn them or to assume things about them. We are so judgmental, aren't we? And what does James say? The judge is standing at the door, the capital J Judge, and it's not you or me. I think we need to be really discerning, and we need to watch our own lives. That's what the Bible says, walk circumspectly, watching carefully the way you walk, not being unwise, but wise. So we need to be discerning. We are not to be consumed with judgment on people. Like I said, oh, I don't like this show. I don't like what they're doing. It's true. I don't. Well, they could look at me and go, that guy's a freak. You know, I don't like that guy either. And so, again, I I realize there's an element of you want to be discerning. You don't want to be judging people's hearts all the time. I don't know what's in their hearts. There could be real believers, and there probably are real believers on that show, that look back and repent and confess their sins. And there's probably some that are in this middle ground of I'm a Christian, and I can do whatever I want, and they're not even aware of how deceived they are. And then there's others that are fully deceived, and they know it, and they're pretending. Hmm. So it runs the spectrum, the gamut, right?
0: So then let me shift it a little bit more practical then. So we're we're talking about not seeing wise in our own eyes and repenting of our own sins, getting rid mm-hmm. of that plank, but... Mm-hmm. Is there ever times where we need to confront people with their sin of like, look, you you are not acting in line with how a Christians ought to act? I mean, what should
1: we do in that situation? We should do what is wise and biblical. and we're not always the one called to do the thing the Bible says to do. But if you're close to the situation and you are aware of a situation, and you don't deal with it, you could be disobeying God because you don't want to face an uncomfortable situation. Let me read you something from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. So the body of Christ to be in harmony, just like I keep saying in Romans, this is all about a harmonious church that's zealous about the gospel, living it and sharing it. But then he says this in verse 14, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do Good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, you look at all of that and you have to be actively engaged with it. You need to encourage, you need to help. It's kind of like correcting our kids. It's like, you know, parents, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's instruction by word and by demonstrative action when they transgress the rules of a Christian household. So yeah, there's a place. But Isaiah 5 tells us something very important. This is from God. Isaiah 5 verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. And what God is saying is, I am going to judge the person who calls evil good and good evil. So in one sense, we don't have to right every wrong. But there are times when there's something good for us to do that's right in front of us that God wants us to do that we will sometimes shun because we don't want to be uncomfortable. There are other times we will run to the battle when we should be staying put. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, but if I can't wait to set someone straight, I should not do anything. If I am dreading the conversation, I should seriously consider Engaging it. Mm. Don't be so bound up in fear of man that you don't ever say anything and don't be so judgmental of people that you're always saying something.
0: Mm. yeah well, thank you Mike that that's been very helpful. It, it's good to hear these things. It's good to remember that you know if if we have somebody who in our own lives who has fallen away, we need to be praying that you know turns out they they are a Peter and not a Judas, that they are a prodigal and it's also good to remember that we need to be so saturated with gospel that we plead with these other people who are not living the way that they ought to, especially if they're confessing to be Christians.
1: That's right. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? Maybe we just close with this, but what does he say in 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 17? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Like God saves people who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation— In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And here's the beautiful part, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, that's a strong word. We're begging you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Why? Because for our sake, he The Father made him the Son to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And it continues on into chapter 6. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you. Another strong word. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in the favorable time I listened to you, in the day of salvation I have helped you. And then these words, behold, Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And then Paul says this, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. We're servants of God. That's what we've got to do. We've got to appeal to people. We've got to appeal to them to implore them on behalf of Christ to be reconciled with God.
0: Yes, to be reconciled to God, to not be satisfied with how they act and how they are now, but instead to long to be transformed into the glorious image of Christ. Amen. Amen. So thank you so much for joining me, Mike. I really appreciate it. And for all those out there listening, if you'd like to contact us, maybe talk about this episode or a past episode and how it's made you think, or if you have any questions, anything like that, go ahead and email us at ordinarychurch@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll join us next Thursday as we remain faithful even in the ordinary.